Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's turn our attention to the message this morning, and I want to begin maybe with two preface remarks before we get into the content of the message. Um, First of all, um, I want to give credit and, and perhaps provide for you resources that I have been consulting really over the last two to three years, some in the last few months, some even longer. You might want to take a picture of this screen. These are books and articles that uh, I have found to be very informative in this uh, debate and in the controversy that we have going on in our society and in our church as it relates to sex, sexuality, and gender. Uh, Several of these books are just exceptionally good. Uh, We have, in addition, a position paper that was authored two years ago within the PCA by some of our brightest minds that was almost unanimously accepted by the pastors and the elders of our entire denomination at General Assembly in 2020. If you would like a copy of that position paper on human sexuality and how we should respond, uh, if you will let me know, or or probably it's just better, call the office because I may forget, or email me or text me uh, or contact the office, and we will get you a copy of that study. I also want to give credit to a, a couple of pastors in particular. It seems that over the summer, uh, you know, pastors, we think and we pray about the upcoming ministry year, that this topic has, uh, been, has landed on the hearts of numerous fellow pastors, both in the PCA and out of the PCA. And so as this series began, some of you began to send me links to many different pastors who have been preaching on this even within the last few weeks. And uh, I so appreciate that. Uh, a couple of them in particular, Brandon Larazon over at Seven Rivers, uh, he just did a phenomenal job. I'd recommend you go listen to his sermon. I called him and said, hey man, can I use some of your quotes? And then he goes, absolutely, go right ahead. And uh, uh, just a wonderful job. Uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Norris up in Perimeter, who is now the senior pastor where Randy Pope is, did a phenomenal job. Uh, there's some great messages out there that they're going to cover things that I didn't get to cover. A lot got left this on the cutting room floor uh, this weekend. It doesn't make it. So saying that, uh, let me give you the second preface remark. I have a big ask of you. I'm going to ask 
uh, this morning that we be circumspect and wise and prudent in our verbal and nonverbal language and reactions. Okay, until we get maybe to the last point, which is all about practical application, I'm going to ask you to have an open mind, a closed mouth, and a heart that is filled with hopefully grace and compassion. Uh, I need that grace and compassion because I am inevitably going to say something this morning that uh, will maybe confuse someone. Uh, maybe I don't say it right, or I just simply don't have enough time to say everything that should be said on something in order to be, for there to be perfect clarity. There's, there's, it's, it's possible that I will say something this morning that will unintentionally hurt somebody who perhaps is, uh, is struggling in some way with gender identity and sexuality. And I hope that you know that that is not my intention and that you will give me grace and compassion and, and if that does occur, you'll come and you'll talk to me so that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, can, uh, I can answer questions and we can resolve and make sure that our relationship is good. We need grace and passion, all of us, because there are going to be those in our church this morning and online who, in different ways, this is a very, what I will be speaking of is a reality of their life, and it's painful. And so that's why we need to have a closed mouth, because you may hear something that upsets you or maybe produces an internal emotional response. But by verbalizing that response, you may very well end up hurting or at least distracting others who are perhaps grappling with these very issues. We don't all think alike on this matter. And so that's why we need also to have an open mind. I have no doubt this morning that everyone in here, most likely at some point, is going to disagree with something I say. I will probably offend all of you, which means maybe I've done my job. I don't know. But I am going to ask you, no verbals. Um, uh, uh, I am going to ask you to keep an open mind. And, and if there's something that you end up disagreeing with or questioning, as brothers and sisters in Christ with grace and compassion, let's sit down and let's talk about it. And let's see, maybe I misstated it. Maybe there's something that I have found that you aren't aware of or vice versa. And we can have that conversation together. So last week, I shared with you some statistics from Gallup that show why we have to speak the truth of the Bible and the gospel and the topic of sex and sexuality. There are seismic shifts happening in our culture. The Generation Z, which is the current youngest generation of adults who were born beginning in 1997, are being traumatized by these shifts in our culture. Uh, in the last 10 years, the percentage of adults in America who identify in some way with LGBTQ has doubled from 35 to 7.1%. As we saw last week, the Gen Z is even a generation, just those few adults, that are, few kids who are now adults, it, it is just amazing what's happening. Five years ago, 10% of that generation who were then adults identified as LGBTQ in some way. And five years later, and earlier this year, that had jumped to 21%. Now, what this means in real numbers is that in America right now, 18, approximately 18 to 19 million American adults identify in some way as LGBTQ. Uh, based off of studies that were done and polls that were done this last summer, 
Among American adults, there's somewhere between one and a half and four million right now who identify as transgender or non-binary. So the question is, what is going on here? Why are these shifts happening so rapidly? And what's going on with Gen Z? Uh, there is a, a gentleman, Dr. James Emery White, who has been the, the president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He is an author, a philosopher, a sociologist. He's a pastor. I've been following and reading his books and materials for almost 20 years now. A re, uh, earlier this year, in a blog article, he wrote, Culture is best identified as both the world into which we are born and the world that is born into us. It's an excellent definition of culture, by the way. Those who were part of Generation Z who have now entered adulthood would have been between 12 and 18 years of age when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage in 2015 and former Olympian turned reality TV star Bruce Jenner very publicly became Caitlyn Jenner. As a result of this kind of cultural context, Generation Z has become sexually and relationally amorphous. It is doubtful that 21% are truly bisexual. What they, are, what they are is truly open. There is a difference. For many, to say you are bisexual, even though you may have never engaged in homoerotic behavior, is the ideologically correct thing to say. Sexual fluidity is the refusal of either the homosexual or heterosexual label, even the male or female label. The idea is that all labels are repressive. Sexuality should be set free of any and all restrictions and allowed to follow its desire, moment by moment, relationship by relationship, feeling by feeling. The seeds for this debate were planted 60 years ago, in the 1960s. It's interesting how rapidly things have changed in just 60 years. Until then, universally across the world, there was an accepted thought as it comes to sexuality and gender. But in the 1960s, we were introduced to an expression transsexual, which is now known as transgender. This this phenomenon was beginning to be studied and identified within the social sciences. In the 1970s, further categories such as gender identity disorder were, were identified and put into the psychiatric manual, manuals and the different materials. That gender identity disorder uh, was uh, recently renamed because disorder is not a good word any longer, and it's called gender dysphoria, and that's what you will often hear of in our world today. In the 1990s, we were first introduced to the idea of non-binary. So these, these things have happened rather rapidly. If you think about it, and it was in the 90s that we were exposed to LGB, then it was LGBT, then it became LGBTQ, and then LGBTQIA, which means uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, which has now morphed to LGBTQQIP2SAA, which means lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirited, asexual, and ally. And that actually is, is out of date because I think it just got to be changed. So now it's just LGBTQ+. And the plus means there's any infinite number of letters after that. 
So things have changed rapidly, and so rapidly that we probably need to identify some terms, define some def- put some definitions out there, so that as I'm bringing this message to you, we're all on the same page. You hear this, this, this phrase, gender identity. Gender identity refers to one's internal sense of being male, female, neither of these, both, or other genders. Gender dysphoria is the feeling of discomfort or disconnect or distress internally with one's birth sex. Transgender is someone whose gender identity differs from their birth sex. In other words, at some point, a young woman, a young man had internal distress, discomfort with who they are, who they saw themselves did not align with their biological sex, and so they took steps to what we call transitioning. They, they take hormone blockers or testosterone or have surgeries, whatever, to, to, so that the outside matches the perceived inside of who they are. And then non-binary refers to someone who does not identify as male or female. I I give you this, and we're studying this this morning, because this movement, it's not going away. This movement is real. And the reason why it's real is because the issues are real. Um, People I love identify with one of those letters. Uh, Let me just do a quick poll. How many of you have someone in your life that you know, that you love, you have con- compassion, sympathy for, that, that, that somewhere one of those letters applies? Raise your hand. Yeah, virtually every one of us, okay? And so we have people that we care about. I have people that I love and care about who didn't ask for gender dysphoria. They did not ask for this. They did not ask for a sexual orientation that is something other than heterosexual. I know Christians who daily, out of obedience to Jesus, have to put to death the sexual desires that spring from within themselves, but which are at odds with their biological state. For them, taking up the cross and following Jesus looks very different than what it does for me. And in many respects, it's much harder. And so we, we have to touch on this. Because these are real people who we love, who, are, who have struggles. As Christians, we are to look to, be, to Christ. We are to be Christ to both the individual and to the culture struggling with sex and sexuality and questions of gender. And when we look to Christ, what do we see? We see that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Whenever he interacted with somebody who was struggling Regardless of what the struggle was, he was full of grace and truth. And so to get our heads and our hearts around what it means to be Jesus, full of grace and truth to those who might be confused about sexuality and gender, or to even to those who have outright embraced the LGBTQ ideology, um, I want us to answer three important questions this morning. Obviously, we need to answer the question of how do we respond as Christians to someone who in some way is identifying in this arena? Um, We need to understand better what is happening in our culture. 
why we're seeing the phenomenons that we are seeing so that we can then have a better understanding when we attempt to respond and interact and love our friends and fellow and our family members. But the first thing we need to do is we need to answer the question of what is the truth about gender and sexuality. We need a theology of gender in, our, in today's world. And so our passage in Genesis is an important one. As Ananda said, our theology of agenda, we have to go back to the beginning, to our creator. And so I want to suggest that from this passage, uh, there are four very important foundation stones of truth that for the foundation of a theological, uh, for a theology of gender. Now, now, there's more truth in the Bible, but these four are foundational. First of all, the first tr foundational truth, we are created beings with inherent dignity for we embody God's image. The scriptures tell us in our passage that was read in verse, chapter 1, verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The psalmist writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Here's the answer. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. The very first foundational truth is that every human being, regardless of male or female, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, to quote Galatians, black, white, brown, doesn't matter the skin color, the ethnic group, the nationality, the level of education or lack of education, wealth or lack of wealth, all of the demographic data is irrelevant when it comes to how we view one another. Every human being has inherent dignity because every human being is created in God's image, we embody God's image. Second foundational truth. We are created in God's image with a gender identity assigned to us by him. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And immediately, gender and sexuality is introduced into the scriptures. Male and female, he created them. In other words... When it comes to our gender identity, when it comes to our sexuality, our biology, our physical biology informs and determines our sexuality and gender identity. Biology informs gender, the biology that we are assigned by God. Third foundational truth, and this is, I, I suggest would be our takeaway truth. If you get nothing else, if you forget everything, please don't forget this because it's applicable to all of us. God created and designed us as a male or female on purpose. Your physical body, as it is given to you at birth, matters to God. Your sexuality, it is an essential part of who you are. You're, it was given to you by God on purpose. He designs us this way. 
The psalmist says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You were created on purpose and you were created with eternal significance as a male or as a female. As humans, we bring order to our world. We exercise dominion over creation, reflecting God's image as we do so, and we do it differently as a male or as a female, and those differences are designed by God intentionally. Both are important if we are going to exercise dominion and stewardship over creation and bring order to the chaos of this world. We live and we interact with one another, reflecting the attributes of God in a manner that the animal kingdom and the rest of creation cannot do. We saw two weeks ago in the meaning of marriage that the covenant marriage of a, of a male and a female and that one flesh principle has a much deeper eternal significance than, than simply sexual intimacy. There is more going on here in Genesis chapter 2 than biology. It's not less than biology, but it's much, much more than biology. We saw in that message that, that in the, the, the establishing of a one flesh relationship within a covenant marriage, God was actually designing something that was to reflect his heart, his desire to be united with his people for all of eternity, his desire to be in communion and fellowship at the deepest levels, much more than just a sexual level between a husband and wife. The one flesh is referring to the sexual, the physical, the emotional, even the spiritual. And it all reflects the relationship that we can now have with God, that God desires with us. And we can have it through Jesus Christ, who is the, the bridegroom, and we, the groom, and, and we are the bride, and we have this through Jesus. And this reflection of the gospel within marriage, in order for it to be accurate and for it to work, it requires two other people, two different people. It doesn't work when it's the same sex. It is to be different sexed people who then are joined together. That's the only way we can reflect this eternal beautiful picture that God has intended for marriage. Fourth, foundational principle, right? There's the fact that we're created in and embody God's image. Therefore, we have inherent dignity. We are created in God's image with, sex, uh, with a gender identity assigned to us by him. And God created and designed us as male and female on purpose. Fourthly, to reject how God has created us is to sin greatly against both creation and our creator. We didn't read it this morning. The opening verses of Genesis chapter 3 has Adam and Eve rejecting God's creation mandate and the order that he had established exerting self-lordship and self-worship, rebelling against God in their relationship with him. And of course, that affects their relationship with one another. 
what we see throughout the scriptures is that when we reject God's created order, it's grievously received by our creator. It's offensive to him to call something that he has decreed good to, eh, it's not really all that good. There's something better that I have decided I want for myself. So this is why in the scriptures, in Deuteronomy, for example, chapter 22, verse 5, we read, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Listen, this isn't just referring to the fact that, you know, maybe a man wears clothes or we wear clothes that are similar. And some, what, what this was in Deuteronomy was an expression of what we would call today transgenderism. A, a, a person born biologically a male wants to live as a female, and that expression starts with the clothing and then the lifestyle of a female. So this verse is actually addressing the very controversy that we have before us in our culture today. And God says it's sin because it is a denial of the created order. Nowhere, church, in Scripture, will you find the belief structure of the LGBTQ ideology as it relates to sex and sexuality and gender identity. Nowhere in the Scriptures will you see it approved of by our Lord. It is thoroughly rejected. It is seen as willful rebellion against God as it violates the creation order, the created order, and the image of God that is embodied within us differently and distinctly as male and female. This is foundational truth for a theology of gender. This is what God's Word says. It also says that everything about humanity, the spiritual the emotional, the rational, the physical. It was all created by God, and it is good. Our soul matters. Our emotions matter. Our psyche matters. Our mind matters. Our physical body, it matters. All of these various aspects of what makes us who we are. One isn't more important than another. They're all important. God views us holistically as creatures created in his image, which means we are emotional and spiritual and sexual and rational and psychological and physical all at the same time, and we can't elevate one over the other. We are created human beings who embody the image of God. We are a living soul designed according to God's image, embodied in physical flesh as either a male or a female according to God's will, just like our incarnated Lord was embodied as a male 2,000 years ago. So the question then becomes, why is this being rejected? Why is something that for thousands of years, this, these truths essentially were accepted regardless of the culture and have now become controversial? Well, I think the, the short answer to that question, maybe the scriptural answer to that question, is that the truth of God expressed both in general and special revelation is being exchanged for a lie 
in order to justify self-lordship and self-worship. Now, now the special revelation, what I mean by that, that's just what we saw in God's word. God's special revelation are the scriptures and ultimately in Jesus Christ. And the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, is the created order, male, female, embodying the image of our heavenly father. But all truth is God's truth. And so what you see is it's not just special revelation that supports these foundational truths. It is general revelation. You can, you can turn to the sciences and see the exact same truth. Recently, Dr. White, in a blog article, quoted from a Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed piece written by Colin Wright, an evolutionary biologist at Penn State, and Emma Hilton, a developmental biologist at the University of Manchester. And their article was entitled, The Dangerous Denial of Sex. And so here's what Dr. White wrote. Their position, the position of these biologists in this article, can be summed up in a sentence. Quote, increasingly, we see a dangerous and anti-scientific trend toward the outright denial of biological sex. End quote. They write that in current cultural thinking, quote, if male and female are merely arbitrary groupings, it follows that everyone, regardless of genetics or anatomy, should be free to choose to identify as male or female or to reject sex entirely in favor of a new bespoke gender identity, end quote. And their response to that as scientists, quote, in humans, as in most animals or plants, an organism's biological sex corresponds to one of two distinct types of reproductive anatomy. In humans, reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth more than 99.98% of the time. So pause moment. The two one hundredths is the I of LGBTQI. That's intersex, people whose in the, because of something that occurs in the embryo stage, the sexual genitals do not develop in a differentiating way. And so there's a medical issue at play there. Note, continuing on, no third type of sex cell exists in humans. And therefore, there is no sex spectrum or additional sexes beyond male and female. Sex is binary, end quote. So this is what has been accepted in civilization for thousands of years. By the way, this is still by far the vast majority view of the world in which we live. It's still the majority view when you get right down to it in our own culture. It's just not heard because the message of the LGBTQ ideology drowns everything out. Why is this message that has been known in special and general, general revelation being rejected so strongly. What's happening today, as individuals experience gender dysphoria, the response to them is radically different. When someone experiences dissonance between their biological sex and how they feel, or maybe the internal sense of self that they have about themselves, they are no longer being led down the path of, yes, we understand that you have these feelings, but you have been born a woman, so let's deal with your feelings 
Instead, what they are being told is that biological sex is no longer what determines who you are and how you should respond to those feelings and to that dissonance. It's captured very succinctly in a New York Times article that was written a couple of years ago, uh, an article that was entitled, Anatomy Does Not Determine Gender, Experts Say. And in a very succinct, almost crass way, they describe it like this, gender originates between your ears, not between your legs. That's what's going on. That's what our children and our teenagers are hearing in, in medical facilities, through the narrative of social media, through any number of Netflix programs and entertainment channels. This message is being pounded home. Gender originates between your ears, not between your legs. At the heart of this narrative is a worldview that believes the highest ideal and quality for us as as humans is true, absolute freedom. It's freedom to be true to yourself. And who determines your freedom and your true self? You do. What you feel is your reality. And that represents your picture of freedom, and that represents the picture of who you actually are. So anyone who disagrees with this, who is seeking to enslave you, they're seeking to take away your freedom. In fact, if that person disagrees with how you perceive yourself and with your feelings, the issue is is that they are a bigot. They are transphobic. They are homophobic. Because nobody has the right to tell you that your feelings are wrong. Even if they change back and forth, we got you covered. That just means you're gender fluid. So here's the problem with this. The issue, of course, here is that often our feelings are wrong. Nowhere do we, are we commanded in Scripture to lead our life by our feelings. If we lived our life by our feelings, my wife would have divorced me 150 times by now. <laughs> okay? Nowhere in life are we commanded to live our life by feelings, especially those who are experiencing gender dysphoria. Again, Accepted fact, too many studies to deny that this is true. It's just not publicized in the same loud manner. The truth is, is that children and youth who express feelings of dissonance and gender dysphoria, 80% of them grow out of it when puberty ends. Do you remember puberty? I mean, did, none of us felt comfortable with our bodies during puberty. And when we went through puberty, we had families and support structures that said, it's okay, you know, this will work out, and you will grow through this. And we were modeled what it meant to be a male or a female. And guess what? Most grow out of it. But that today, when a young person, a child, depending upon where he lives in our nation, expresses what are normal feelings for every child, or even the more severe forms of gender dysphoria, 
what they're being told is not that you will grow out of it, not that you should wait and see if this is permanent even. They are being told, well, then you need puberty blockers. You need hormone and you need testosterone and, and you need to be true to yourself and who you see yourself as. As for adults, the same is true. Even when adults experience gender dysphoria, feelings internally of one way that are not in sync with the outside, this does not mean that we are to trust our feelings. And the reason God tells us this is that our hearts are the most deceitful things within us. We're desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We are radically corrupted by sin. Every one of us. And so as a result, our bodies, our minds, our psyches, our emotions, it's, it's all radically disordered, which means we're going to have disordered thoughts and disordered feelings and disordered desires, every single one of us. And we are not to trust and act on those disordered desires and emotions and feelings. The sad truth is, is that by listening to feelings instead of the objective truth of God's word, even nature itself, lives are now being devastated and destroyed. And that's why we're having to speak about this this morning in what is probably a very uncomfortable message for some of us, because this is a hard topic. There is a growing chorus and a body of evidence that shows many who give in to their feelings and they transition from one sex to another, they may experience a brief sense of relief from the, from the mental and the emotional health issues that they've been experiencing. But the studies are beginning to show that these benefits and these gains are short-lived. And then soon, the same Anxiety and distress and disorder comes flooding back. And there's anecdotal data that it comes back so much more severe that it's causing increased suicide rates among those who have transitioned. You need more studies to show that this is actually the case, but anecdotally, it seems to be there. So what's ironic is that in more socially liberal countries, like, say, Sweden, Finland, or Hazel's England, they have they have put a stop to the uh, they have put a stop or made it much harder for children and teens to make life altering decisions as it relates to their gender. They have made it more difficult even for adults, treating it more and more first at the root cause of mental health to see what is going on because so often what they're what we're finding is at the core of these of these feelings and the gender dysphoria are other mental health issues, other factors at play that are affecting our children. I mentioned last week the alarm even within the LGBT community towards this 21%, what is going on here? And what's being concluded is that children are turning to this and teen prepubescent teens, especially girls, are turning to this because they see it as a way of acceptance with their peer group, a way to get more likes, 
It's tragic. And so while other socially liberal countries are making it harder, ironically, here in America, we're making it easier. And anyone who raises honest questions or who pushes back, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, scientist, pastor, doesn't matter, if you raise an alarm, you run the risk of being branded transphobic. And so this creates an issue. Christians and non-Christians alike are scared to speak up against the prevailing narrative out of the fear of how it will impact your career or damage your reputation or what friends and family members may cut you off, cancel you, and no longer have anything to do with you. It's safer to keep your mouth shut. And so this leads us to the final question that we have to ask. As Christians, keeping our mouths shut all the time, now sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut, but keeping our mouth shut all the time is not an option. We, we are supposed to be Jesus to our culture and to our loved ones and to our friends, and that means it's inevitable that we have to speak truth. So how should we as Christians respond? I would suggest, first of all, that our response starts with the gospel and the gospel as it's applied to us and what it say it says about us. In other words, the gospel so taking root so deeply within us that it shapes our responses so that it is filled with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Can, I, can I just make a point here right out of the gate that in our responses, God has not called us to be culture warriors He has called us to be salt and light. He has called us to be testimonies and ambassadors for Christ. We are not called to be culture warriors. We're called to be kingdom warriors. And kingdom warriors respond to these issues with grace. We spoke last week about how common it is for Christians to experience sexual brokenness. In our sexuality, we're all broken due to the fall. And due to indwelling sin, we have to start with this understanding of the gospel as it applies to us. Every sexual desire that we have is contrary to God's design and is a manifestation of sexual brokenness in our own lives. Every sexual action outside of God's design, a man and a woman enjoying sexual intimacy within a covenant marriage. Every sexual action outside of God's design is an example of our self-lordship and our self-worship, our exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And so when we understand that all of our sexual sin is also the result of false beliefs that, false, that leads to false actions and false behavior, those who experience gender dysphoria or homoerotic sexual feelings and desires should receive only our empathy and our sympathy and our compassion and not judgmentalism or condemnation. Of all people, we should understand what they're going through. I have my own form of brokenness. I may not have their form of brokenness, but I have my own form of brokenness. And so do you. Every one of us. 
We're all in the same boat here. And yet, the gospel teaches us, and this is the good news that we have, that our sexual brokenness and our sexual sin, it doesn't define us. Our identity is neither in our sin, nor is it in our perception of ourself and our own gender. Even as a masculine, manly man, full of machismo, that is a false gender identity that many of us live by. But our identity is not that. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us to God despite all of our sexual sin in our past, present, and future. He's made us right with God. And so as a result, God is not pouring out his wrath against us because of our sexual sin and brokenness. Instead, he brings us to himself as his loved children. And there is no condemnation for us because Jesus took on flesh. He's born as a man, a male, the second Adam. And he lived that life that we're obligated to live. And so because we trust him and follow him and commit our broken, messy lives to him, God doesn't look at our sin. He looks at Jesus's perfection and righteousness. And how good is that? Because even though we struggle and fall, In our area of temptation and sexual brokenness, God does not reject us. He embraces us as his loved children. This is the gospel. So let's start right there with the grace of the Lord and of, and of our Lord Jesus and how that affects us, which then motivates us giving compassion and empathy and understanding to everyone who finds themselves somewhere on that spectrum that is put before us or something else that's going on in their lives. Because the truth is, whether that person is a Christian or not, we have more in common with them than what we realize. We're all in the same boat. And it starts with the gospel. That's the solution. Secondly, We respond by practicing genuine hospitality and acceptance. This means, corporately as a church, for example, that we accept anyone into our church who wants to worship with us and find answers and pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of the messiness and brokenness of their life. Let me ask you a question, church. Are we the kind of church that if a a gay couple who's married comes and wants to worship with us regularly, they're going to be accepted? Are we the kind of church if someone who is transgendered, who is transitioned, and they're looking for answers in their life because of what's occurring, are they free to sit among us and be loved and accepted by us? I hope the answer there, and this is where you can open your mouth, is yes, thank you, (laughs) right? Because that's hospitality. That's gospel acceptance. It means we accept them into our church. It means that we accept them into our lives. And if, if, if it's someone who's close to us, into our families, and we love them with the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't condemn, we love, we empathize, 
We establish a relationship. Matthew Chan- Matt Chandler writes, if the church must be anything, she must be a safe place for the gender confused and the sexually broken. If she is not safe for that, when we do not, then we do not believe our own message. We are all broken, all in need of salvation, all in need of grace, and to take a particular struggle and put it outside the bounds reveals we don't quite understand what it is we believe. So for our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be struggling with some aspect of LGBTQ and that, that, that uh, issue that is happening in so many people's lives, that means that we accept them and extend a hospitality to them by bringing them into our church, into our small groups, into our lives, and encouraging them to walk faithfully after Christ, to take up the cross and die daily against the disordered desires that they struggle with as they encourage us to take up the cross and die daily to the disordered desires that afflict our lives. And that happens when we have a loving environment where we, as those who know Jesus, lead the way with true, authentic, gospel-fueled transparency and authenticity, where we come in humility sharing, here's how I'm disordered. Here's how sin has affected me. I need your prayers and your support even more than maybe you need my prayers and my support. So we practice acceptance, genuine hospitality, it starts with the gospel, and finally, we winsomely live out and demonstrate and proclaim the truth of the gospel. So we have a saying in our church, right? Come as you are, but don't what? Stay as you are. We are all sinners who come to the foot of the cross. We come to the foot of the cross as we are not in order to stay in bondage to whatever it is that is afflicting us and enslaving us, however our sin nature is being manifest. We don't come to the cross to stay like that. We come to the cross in order to be changed, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so while we accept anyone, that does not necessarily mean that we affirm the legitimacy of what's going on in their life. We do not brand that which is sin as righteous, that which is evil as good. We cannot go the way of the Israelites where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We have to give the answer at some point in a winsome way of the fact that there is truth in God's word. And so hospitality mean, doesn't mean that we remove sacred boundaries or that we compromise on biblical truth. But it does mean that when the time comes to be able to speak truth into someone's life, we do it with humility and we do it with patience as we understand the journey to salvation for some can be years long. And certainly the The path of sanctification after salvation is even longer and harder. And so we come with that posture. But there comes a point where as Jesus was full of grace, he was also full of truth. And he delivered that truth in a way that could be heard by the person who needs it. 
This is desperately needed. One of the heartbreaking stories that I've read in, in the last several weeks is one, a young woman in England by the name of Kira Bell. Kira came from a, a very broken family. Lots of, lots of childhood trauma in her life. Uh, her testimony was that from her youngest years, she, f- she played with the boys. She felt like a boy. It's what we used to call a tomboy, right? And when puberty struck, she was horrified. She did not like these things that were now growing on her chest. She did not like that her hips were changing and that her body was changing. She, she could not relate to it. For one reason, all of her friends who were boys now didn't necessarily have that relationship with her anymore, and it was uncomfortable. She was not comfortable in her body, and so one of her step-parents took her to the medical clinic there in England, and they immediately put her on puberty blockers at 13 years of age. And they began to tell her, the issue here is that you are a boy trapped in a girl's body. And so a few years later, as an older teenager, she had a double mastectomy and then began transitioning with, with testosterone. And the beard grew out, and I saw a picture of her as a dude, and I couldn't tell. She was a dude. She was a guy. But then about four or five years later, after her transition, in the quietness of her life, when all the noise stopped, she realized, I'm worse off now than I was before. My feelings are even more disordered. They're more distressing. This doesn't feel right either. It did not work. And she realized that she had been given just one message and nobody had dealt with the underlying issues. So she sued and she won at the highest courts in England and that's why English law has now changed. But in her testimony, one of the things that she said that was so gripping to me was this. She she described the process. She said, I just wish someone would have recognized what was really going on in my life and told me that there was another way. Church, that's why our response has to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth, delivered with the power of the Holy Spirit and the winsomeness of our Lord Jesus. Help us to be like this, Jesus. To those who we know and love, Would you help us to love them genuinely? Would you break down barriers and walls? Would you restore relationships that maybe have have been severed because lines were drawn in the sand? Demands of, of affirmation were given along with the acceptance that was already offered. I pray for those who are here who they feel the pain of lost relationships. Because they did accept, but they were asked to go a bridge too far with affirmation. And Lord, would you restore those relationships? Would you give us the opportunity to love our family members and our friends who are, have genuine struggles in this area of sexuality and gender? Would you give us the opportunity to love them well, to cause them to feel safe, and accepted into our families and into our church. Would you 
give us stories of gospel restoration because we know that the true hope for all who are broken by sin is the gospel. We ask this for your glory, Lord Jesus, and for the good of those that we love and know. Amen.